0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning online, if you're watching us there. It's been a busy weekend, hasn't it? Like, literally, we have had people living up at the church between If and Ronnie cooking and things like that, and I smell like a smoker right now, and I mean like a cooking smoker. Um, it's pretty good. I'm looking forward to that. Um, this week, we're going to continue walking through the book of Nehemiah. If you're kind of new with us, we've just been walking through this Old Testament book. And this week, we're going to be in chapter 8. Now, if you're an astute listener and you go, hey, last week we were in chapter 7, only in like verse 4, and there's a whole bunch of verses, why aren't aren't we skipping that? Is it it too hard? Does it make you nervous? Is it something you don't want to talk about? You just go read chapter 7 in Nehemiah. You pronounce those names and get back to me. Um, It's an entire genealogy list, but we're not going to skip it. Um, I've had this whole series kind of mapped out, and I knew... That particular section was like, man, that's like 70 verses for one sermon. Um, and it's genealogy, it's lists of names and how many people were in a tribe. I was like, God, what do I do with that? Um, and I'm thankful that God speaks. And was like, you know what? That will make a really good Easter message. Um, so be back next week at either 9 or 11.15, and I'm actually really looking forward to that one now. But we're going to skip forward this week, and we'll go back to that one. And kind of to frame how we're going to talk today, we've, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah, and today is going to be a little bit of a shift away from what he's been doing and what he's been talking about, and we're going to get to see some new things, some, some reforms that come into place. And I want to kind of pose the question of, okay, if we're truly following God, can that impact something? the obvious answer is yes. We know that when we're obedient and God's moving that individual lives can be changed. We know that families can be changed, but what if we took it to the biggest level? Can it have a national impact? And the answer is yes, because history teaches us this. If you go back to the late 1800s, there was an Englishman by the name of uh, William Wilberforce. There's a great movie called Amazing Grace that kind of tells this story. And as a young person, fell in love with Christ and Christ dramatically changed his life and he said man I have experienced freedom from sin I have experienced freedom from my old self and now I look at the world and go there are people that are enslaved and that's not okay and he'd been elected into an official office in England and he began to try and pass some reforms that would abolish slavery and for 20 years this was his focus This was his drive, and it was something he prayed about. It was something he tried to say, hey, we know this is wrong. Why are we still doing it? And people who even claimed to be believers pushed back against him. But after 20 years of prayer and diligently seeking after God, they abolished slavery in England. And then it began to spread across the world. And so you get to see where this person following after God, man, it blew up on a national level. And we're going to get to see that today with Nehemiah. And so we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose and beside him and I'm not even going to try were a group of guys helping out <laughs> after trying to do it in the first service I've just given up and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and as he opened it all the people stood And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, there were some other people who, here's the important part, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So as we've been walking through Nehemiah, we have talked a lot about a wall, 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 wall. Nehemiah's goal as he came to Jerusalem was, I'm going to rebuild the wall surrounding the city, this two-mile-long wall, and we know that he did it. And so we think, okay, this is just a book about building something, but it's not. See, the book of Nehemiah, it's not about just building a wall. It's about pointing people back towards God and his glory. See, the wall wasn't just a defensive thing. It was to remind people that this was Jerusalem. This was the city of God. This was God's holy place. This is where the temple was. This is really about pointing people back to God so that they understand his glory. Like it's been kind of an exciting week for us at South Point. You guys know late last year we started what we called straining towards the goal. where We said, hey, we're, we're raising money because we know there's some things that we want to do around the church. And we had a really good week where we're looking at paint being done and the signage and different things like that. And it's really exciting to see that. That's kind of our wall in a sense. But it's not just about painting a building. It's not about having different signage up. It's about pointing people back to God's glory. And this is where Nehemiah is going to begin to transition a little bit. And this is where Nehemiah, again, once again, teaches us really, really good leadership lessons. See, Nehemiah understands, I'm a good leader. Like, there's, you can't read this without going, that guy is a phenomenal leader. He was great at raising people up to do things. He was great at delegating things. He was great at seeing a massive project and understanding how to get it done. He was great at knowing that, hey, there's opposition coming in, but I know how to deal with it. He does all of this really, really well, but he also knows there are some things that I am not. See, Nehemiah is the governor of the providence, but he's not a priest. We saw a couple of weeks ago when someone tried to get him to go in the temple, he goes, no, I don't go there. I know what happens. Like, that's only for priests to go into. And he understands there's going to need to be a spiritual revival that takes place. And so he kind of takes a step back, and we get to meet Ezra. He understands this is what I'm good at, but he also understands this is what somebody is better at. I get to see that even in my job. Like I love what I do. I love when we sit down in our elder meetings and there are times where Jeff and Terry start talking about things and I go, I need goldfish because I'm at the kid table. Like Y'all are a lot more intelligent than me. Like we would start talking about things that we want to do here and they start actually getting it done and I go, you know what, you are way better at that than me. I'm really good at reading books, <laughs> like that's what I do. And I just kind of take a step back and I'm like, the professionals are working here. And for this moment, Nehemiah goes, you know what, I'm, I know I'm a leader but I'm not the spiritual leader right now. And so he's gonna take a step back and we get to meet Ezra. Ezra, it says, he's a priest and a scribe. We kind of understand the priest part of it. A scribe was someone who literally copied the Bible. Remember, this is long before the printing press. This is long before we just typed everything out. This was a unbelievably meticulous thing that they do. Like one of the reasons we know the Bible is true and real is they were so careful in the way that they recorded it. I tell people, scribes did not have ADHD <laughs> scribes were very detail-oriented and they would count out the number of letters as they wrote and they would count out the letters in a line they would count them out on a page and if they didn't match up with the actual thing you just took that crumbled it up and threw it away and started over like he was meticulous in what he did and then we get to see that they had already kind of prepared for this as well it says they built a wooden platform for him to come and read the law and so they built basically what we would call a pulpit today. And here's the interesting thing. This wasn't in the temple. This wasn't in the typical place of worship where they were going to read the law. This was out in public. It says it was by the Watergate. This was on the east side of Jerusalem. And this was in a public place. But they had a preparation for what was about to happen. And it's kind of made me think this week, like when we go into worship, when we go into ministries, do we prepare for that? Like, do we prepare ourselves as we come to worship God? Now, if we're all really honest, especially if you got kids, you know, there's, you're trying to get clothes on little people, you're trying to get people into the car, and you have that moment where, like, when we get out of this car, everybody better smile. Yeah? Some of you did it this morning. It's okay. But there's times where, like, do we really prepare ourselves to come into this place to worship? Like, these people knew, hey, when God's word is read, something powerful is going to happen. Lives are going to be changed. We're going to see a movement of God. And so to prepare for that, they built this platform so that people could see Ezra, so they could hear him, probably set in a way that they understood the acoustics back then. But they were prepared. Like, do we prepare ourselves to come and worship? Do we invest in our hearts? Do we kind of investigate our own lives at times and go, okay, am I I ready for that? Am I excited for it? Every one of us has been called. If we're in Christ, we know we're called into ministry. God has called you into something. To, like, do we prepare for that? Do we do we study in such a way that we know? Do we get our lives into a place? Do we reach out to people? Like, do we prepare like they did? Because this platform is built. And Ezra gets up and it says, from morning to midday, for six hours, he reads what's known as the book of the law of Moses. He reads the first five books of the Bible, called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And for six hours, Ezra begins to read. And the word begins to go out. And for some of these people, they had never heard it before. And man, something big happens. A revival breaks out. Not just on an individual level, but across this massive multitude of people. Across an entire nation. That word revival comes from a Hebrew word, charah. And it means to, I mean, we understand the definition to, to bring back to its original condition, to make better. But this revival begins to break out. And in, in the history of the world, there have been a number of times that massive, massive revivals have broken out on a national level. This is one of them. In the 1500s, there was a huge one. At the time, it was only the Catholic Church and some of the things that were being taught just did not line up with Scripture. And you had a number of pastors that began to read Scripture and say, hey, that's not what it says And so what we call the Reformation broke out. August 31st, long time ago, guy named Martin Luther, phenomenal theologian, kind of a jerk. I kind of like him. um, Goes to a church and nails what's called the 95 Thesis saying, hey, these are the things that need to be better. And it kicked off what was known as the Reformation. And people rose up and things like sola scriptura, scripture alone driving what we believe. And that's where we're here today. Like we're a Protestant church because of that. In the 1700s in America, in our own history, there was known as what was called the First Great Awakening. You had these giants of Christianity like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley. And they began to go out, not in churches. They did it in churches. But they would go out into the community, into the frontiers, and just proclaim the gospel. And there was this awakening among the American people at the time. Not even Americans, really. And they began to see that, hey, we need to follow God. Later there was known as the second great awakening and they'd say there could be as many as four but there have been times where God has massively moved in a nation and Nehemiah is getting to watch that. As beautiful as this wall is to him that he looks out and goes, man, I got to be a part of building this. As he looks out and he sees these people and their brokenness and they're wanting to know more about God, that was probably the most moving thing he saw. And so in the rest of our time, I want to try and, Give a couple of steps for revival. Now, anytime, we have four steps today. Anytime, I I try and be really careful with this because anytime someone says, hey, I got five steps to better your life, somebody's gonna do it and it's not gonna work and it's kind of frustrating. So here's the thing. These are not magical things. It's not that we just do this and it's automatically gonna happen. Um, But within scripture, if we will follow these, we will probably see God begin to move because this is what happens with Nehemiah. And the first one's this. It's prayer. If you've been a part of this series and walking through this book, this should come as no shot. Everything in Nehemiah begins with prayer. In verse 6, as Ezra's about to get up to read, it says, and he blessed the Lord. That was him proclaiming that God is glorious. Now, that also can sound kind of weird at times. Like, can we bless God? Well, We can't add anything to him, right? Because he is God. He's perfect and holy and just, and everything about him is exactly right. But we bless him in the way that we say, hey, we want to recognize your awesomeness. We want to recognize your glory. We want to recognize your perfection and your holiness. But you have to kind of be careful where the emphasis you put on the right pronoun. Because I've heard some guys recently say, we bless you. And like, it's probably less we, and it's more you, But this is a moment where Ezra, before he does anything, he just begins to pray. And he acknowledges that, hey, God is good. We know that he's holy. We know that he's been doing work here. We look at this wall that was just built, and we know there is no way that this could have been done without his presence. And so he just acknowledges him. And all of those awakenings and all the revivals and things like that that we talk about, every one of them have their start in prayer. The second great awakening basically was birthed out of a prayer meeting. Just some people that got up really early one morning, and they started to pray. And more people joined them. And before you knew it, it was dozens. And before you knew it, it was hundreds. Then it was thousands. And the gospel began to go out. It always begins with prayer. And something about Ezra's prayer seemed to give the people an anticipation that God was going to do something. Like something began to stir up inside them that, hey, something big is about to happen. And this anticipation built to the point where they listened intently to the word of God being read for six hours. Like do we have that kind of anticipation? Like do we anticipate God moving in our church? Do we anticipate God moving in our community? Do we anticipate God moving in our homes? Like I hope we have that. Like, I know this weekend going into IF, it's such a great weekend. It was wonderful just to be able to be up here yesterday and and see all the guys doing stuff and seeing our ladies be able to worship. And none of the kids got hurt. It was great. (laughs) But it was one of those times where I know people go into that and there's this anticipation. I know God's going to do something. Do we live in that, though? Like when I wake up in the morning, do I have an anticipation that God may move me in such a way where I intersect with someone else's life and have the opportunity to share the gospel with them, to share God's love with them? Like on Monday morning when you're headed to work, do you have this anticipation that, hey, this is my mission field, and I may have the opportunity to reach out in it? Like do we we have an anticipation that God's going to do things? Because far too often we just kind of sit back and we just wait. Man, I want to have a longing. And as Ezra prays, something in that prayer, these people have this anticipation that God is going to do big things. The second thing that leads to revival is the reading of God's word. So in verse 3, it says that Ezra begins to read the, the law of Moses, the Torah, the first five books. It says from early morning. So think of If you grew up in church or you have any familiarity with it like the whole sunrise service thing the sun's barely coming up just enough light to be able to see and as that sun came up over the city of jerusalem he begins to read and all the people not in the temple but out in the public place where it's needed most they begin to listen and they listen intently one of the reasons they listen is because this is truth There's the term game recognizes game. If you're really good at something, you recognize when somebody else is good at it as well. Well, truth recognizes truth. And the words that he reads, it shows a couple things. It shows that, one, this was not just some public letter reading. They understood this is God's word. Understand that what we're reading today in 2021 was written 2,400 years ago. That is a massive, massive span of time. I mean, our, our country's existence is a blip in that. Countries have risen and fallen. Empires have come and gone in that time. And yet God's word remains true. And 2,400 years ago as it was being read, they understood this isn't just some letter. This is the authoritative word of God, and we are going to listen to it intently. And as they listen, they're absolutely captivated. And as they hear things, some of them they're hearing it for the first time. All they know to say is, amen. Amen. That means let it be, or it is so, it's true. They understand that this is truth. Like, growing up in church, I grew up in like an amen church. And some of you know, like, there was always that one, usually older gentleman, and somehow he had a voice deeper than anybody else, and he would boom out, amen. Like, it just happened. Every now and then we still have that. JD was in here earlier, and JD's my amen guy. I know I got it going if he gets the amens. But it just means let it be, it is true. And as these people hear God's word, that's all they know to say. And they just say, let it be. We hear those words. We understand they're good. Let it be. Because for thousands of years, this is the primary way that God has communicated to us. Through his word. That's why there's times where you read a verse for the first time and it blows your mind. And it's living and real because sometimes you read it for the hundredth time and it blows your mind. I know that this is outside of my salvation had one of the greatest impacts in my entire life because i tell people i wasn't always a pastor <laughs> There was a time where we're online so i'm not going to get into everything but we'll just call it misspent youth um, when i really started walking with god this is one of the things that really changed it because for years i had a bible it did a great job of keeping dirt from getting underneath it and one day not because i was being punished or not because i was told to do it I simply picked it up and said, I'm going to read this for myself. And I fell in love with it and dramatically changed who I am. And there were things that I remember reading and being convicted about. There were things I remember reading and going, that's not what I've been taught. And let scripture read me and let it convict and let it do what it does. Because when we let it speak to us, it moves us to action. It pushes us forward. This is why we talk about it so, so often because Scripture is that important. It's what moves us forward, it builds us in our relationship with God. And there are so many times that if we would just spend a little bit of time in it each day, your life will look dramatically different. It'll be more fulfilling, it'll be convicting in good ways. But God's word has to be central. Anytime a revival is going to be breaking out, it's going to have to be centered on God's word. But there's also another step you have to understand God's word. All those names that you saw on the screen, or maybe you saw in your Bible and you've been trying to figure out how to say them, um, those were people standing on this platform with Ezra, and they were there to help teach people and to train them with it, with the word. The way they did this, sometimes it was through literal translation. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Unfortunately, for a lot of these people, they had spent so much time in captivity, you know, over a century, they spoke Aramaic, not Hebrew. And so some of these people were literally going through and translating the Bible for them so that people could understand what was being said. At the same time, others were just walking around going, hey, do you, do you, know, do you comprehend what he just said? No, I'm kind of struggling with it. Well, let me take a moment and explain it to you. See, understanding God's word is huge. That's why I teach typically the way that I'm doing right now. When we go verse by verse, it's what's known as expository preaching. And it's literally, we're reading God's word. We read a little bit, we talk a little bit. And that's what these people were doing. They were just reading God's word and then helping explain it to people. Because the reality is, there's times God's word, it can be kind of daunting. You can spend an entire lifetime studying it and still go, I'm not exactly sure what that just said to me. And everyone goes through that. So many times people think, man, I'm the only one that just doesn't seem to be able to comprehend this. No, everyone needs help. Like my professional job is to be able to go through and do this. Does that mean I have it all figured out? Not at all. That's why I brought these up here. These are my current friends. Every week, there are a couple commentaries on the book of Nehemiah, because some people have devoted their entire life to studying one book, which is amazing. Because other people have devoted their entire life to studying another book, and it helps us in all of them. And so every, every week, I go through and read these. Now, I can read the Bible and understand a good bit, but man, these are really, really helpful. These are the people in Nehemiah speaking to me. And there's some that are lighter reading. Pretty much anybody could read this one. It's one that you can pick up, you can comprehend it pretty quickly. Some of the other ones are way more academic And they go through a lot of Hebrew and things like that. And a lot of times, I'm an Aggie, I don't get it. Um, But I read them because I need that help. And that's for all of us. Understanding God's word, it takes more than just one person. It wasn't just Ezra, it wasn't just Nehemiah. You had this collection of people coming together to say, hey, we want to help people understand. That's why I love that we have equipping classes now to where you can have a further understanding of God's word where we have life groups, where you can have a further understanding of God's Word. Right now, media, with its hundreds and hundreds of different things in it, we have been blessed to live in a day and age where comprehending God's Word has been made easier. Technology at times is dumb, (laughs) but sometimes it's really good. I've mentioned it before. You go to blueletterbible.com. There's tons of commentaries you can walk through, Scripture by Scripture, with commentaries to help train and teach you. And that's what these people did. They understood, hey, reading God's word is where it starts. But people have to understand it. They have to comprehend it. Because when we truly comprehend it, it moves us to action. When we understand God's word, and we say, Oh, it's it's convicting, it's moving, it will move us to action. And then the story continues. In verse nine, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Uh, And Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites called all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the, people went to their, uh, all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The fourth step in revival is probably the hardest one. And sometimes it's weird to say, because people go, Man, I, I struggle to read the Bible. I, I struggle to understand it. But that's actually the easy part. So we pray, we read God's word, we understand it. But the fourth thing that is always involved in an actual revival breaking out is sorrow over sin. As these people heard God's word, they're listening to these words just spill over them for hours. Like, you know something big was going on because for six hours they read the Bible. Like, I think I'd have a hard time selling that. If I said, hey, next Sunday um, bring lunch because I'm going to read for six straight hours to you. Some of you are like, oh, we'll find a different church. (laughs) But for six hours, these people listen, and they're loving every word. They're hanging on it. They're crying out amen, and then they're so moved as they hear the truth of God, as they hear the commandments that are listed out in the book of Exodus, as they hear about their ancestors in the book of Numbers, as they hear about the truth of creation in Genesis. They're moved to tears. These people begin to break down and they weep. And if you are not familiar with a Middle Eastern culture, there's a reason they call it the wailing wall. Like it's not a quiet, somber thing. It is loud. You've got an entire nation that's just weeping because they realize, my sin has pulled me so far from God and I see his holiness and I want that. And all they know to do is break down. And that's not always a bad thing. Man, they're convicted. They look and they they understand as they hear the truth of God, they see that God is perfect and holy and they hear of their sin and they see that that separates them from God because they're just not compatible. And they're convicted and they're broken. But that brokenness leads to salvation. We know today that that brokenness leads us to go and say, I understand that I am a sinful person. But in his grace, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us so that he could pay the price for my sin. And it's only through him that I can have forgiveness. And these people are just moved to tears. But in the end, they rejoice. As they look out, they see all these people crying. They say, hey, we understand why you're crying, and it's a good thing. But man, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're going to rejoice. This is a holy day now. And Nehemiah says, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate. We're going to eat good meals. We're going to have a good drink. And if people don't have it, we're going to make sure they're taken care of because this is a day where our country is returning to God. Man, I pray that for us too. I don't want that to sound like some political statement. But man, I pray that we would be a people that return to God because this is a life-changing moment in the history of Israel. For hundreds of or over a hundred years now, they've been in captivity. They haven't been able to worship like this. They haven't read the law like this. And in this moment, the nation has this dramatic change. Like the title of our message today is "People of the Book." This is what the Israelites were called after this. They became a people of the book. Were they perfect? No. In about twelve years, Ezra, or Nehemiah is going to have to come back and teach them some more things that we'll look at. But man, they became committed to God's word. They read it they confess, and in the end they rejoice. See, when God begins to do big things, when God begins to move in a way that you know there is no way that that is coming from anywhere else but from God, all you can do is rejoice. It's exciting. It's exciting to watch God move among people and do things and change lives and break people free from bondage of sin and raise people up. It's an exciting thing. And we're entering into a week that is kind of exciting for most of us, right? Like, this is Palm Sunday. We've got these. Um, next Sunday is Easter. Next Sunday is the day that we celebrate our Savior. It's the reminder, and I know we, we have it every year, but it's, it's our yearly reminder that, yes, God loved us enough that he sent his Son. And on Friday, as we gather together and pray, we're going to be reminded that that is a dark day in human history. The Messiah, the Son of God, hung on a cross, bleeding out for us and put into a tomb. But next Sunday we celebrate that God raised him from the dead, that we have a risen Savior that we worship. And So here's my prayer for us this week, that we would pray for revival. That's been on my heart a lot lately. We, we prayed about it in a men's thing a couple weeks ago. Man, I want to see God move in a big way in South Point, in churches all over. So this week, let's be a people that pray. Let's definitely start there. Let's pray that God would move. Let's pray that God would bring people who desperately need to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. Let's be a people of the word. Let's be a people of the book. Let's be a people that understand. Let's also be a people that invite. This is the time of year where people are likely to answer your call if you say, hey, you want to go to church with me? So there's a couple things you can do. Like in the seatbacks in front of you, there's those little invite cards. Take them. Hand them out this week. But hand them to people you know. <laughs> sometimes they're like, oh, I'll just leave it. Which sometimes, look, that works. Sometimes I leave them at the gym in the little like bottle holder on a treadmill just to see what happens. At some point, if somebody shows up and goes, I came because of crunch, yay, God's sovereign. But most of the time, when you know someone, you have a relationship with them, you can hand that to them. Sometimes you can build that relationship really quickly. There's a guy I've given, I think he keeps forgetting, but I've handed him a couple at Lowe's because whenever we go in, I have to get it done tax exempt. And then he asked me about my church and I hand him one of those cards. And I know I've done it at least twice. It's just one of those things. You can build a relationship quickly. But I want us to be a part of something. I want us to be a part of revival. Also, we can point it back to God's glory. Let's pray. God, do something big. God, as we spend this week reflecting on your son and all that he did and looking in anticipation to Easter God I pray that you'll stir something deep in us God that we'll be a people that pray for revival we'll be a people that pray for our friends, that pray for our family and God desperately long for that That will be a people of the book. Always ready to give an answer in truth. God, I pray that we'd be broken over sin and move past it. God, I pray that you would do something big in our community that we know can only come from you. Continue to grow us this week. God, I pray for our Easter services next week and the people that will be here and the beauty of your story, the saving story of Jesus, God. Thank you for that. We ask all of this in Christ's name, amen.